0: Welcome to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and you can also follow our older episodes on iTunes. Hello, everyone. Every week, Kim and I get together with you and discuss the latest news and information we find on the internet in the wine world. And a lot of times, I don't know if listeners know this, Kim, but we do every day on our Facebook page post a daily newsletter, and we also post a weekly newsletter. Then we take that content and pick topics to discuss with our listeners. So that is the basis of our show. We love to start the shows with what did we Google this week? So Kim, what did you Google this week?
1: So what I googled this week, I was looking up uh, information on a certain winemaker who is sort of one of the founding fathers of Napa Valley winemaking. Gentleman's name is Warren Winiarski. He's actually still alive. He's about 92 years old these days. And he was an immigrant from Europe and he came over to the U.S. early in the 20th century. He was a young man, uh, kind of in the 1930s, 1940s, and was really one of the winemakers that really kicked off California's modern wine industry in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, he worked for Mondavi for a couple of years, he worked for Sovereign for a few years, and eventually became the winemaker at Stag's Leap, which won all sorts of awards. And the most famous one being the Judgment of Paris tasting in 1976 in Paris, where a number of American wines went up against a number of French wines, and they were all tasted blind, meaning that the judges did not know what they were tasting, and the American wines came out on top. So that sort of sent shockwaves, through the wine world and really introduced American wines as being able to compete on a world stage. So I just wanted to know a little bit more information about him for one of my classes, and that is what I googled this week. What did you google this week, Mark?
0: That was interesting. Yeah, History cool and very well-known person in the wine world. Indeed. Well, Kim, we've been studying Spain, as we've been telling our lists past few weeks, and in one of our lectures, there was a mention of Roman aqueducts, and mm. I was just amazed. You saw these, the three, four-story structures where the Romans built these things for transportation and storage of water. So I was just curious if any information if they were used in any way for the vines, for winemaking. I couldn't really find anything of how it was used, but I did find a stat that said they were used up until the 1920s. So you were looking for them for
1: sort of like irrigation purposes. Yeah, were they drawing, was it just
0: for everyday living and removal of waste, I would assume? No, just water. Just water. Only used for,
1: for drinking. The mm-hmm. levels, it
0: was amazing construction. If people haven't seen it, just Google Roman aqueducts. Some of them are up to 40 miles long. And it's just amazing the things that the, the Romans did other and, than give us great wine right? and <laughs> making,
1: And they're all over Europe, you know, all over Southern Europe, wherever the Romans went. They brought their technology with them. So you can see them in Southern France. You see them in Spain. There are really cool ones in the Rhone Valley, which I've seen quite a few of as well.
0: Our first article today we want to discuss with you is from Decanter magazine. It's Are You a Label Drinker? And Kim, you know me, I get excited when I see any article that mentions labels. Uh-huh. And Decanter, right away they were saying, kind of se- wanted to separate themselves for the, for the person who's just drinking a wine and posting it. But it was all about social media and how it's turning people into label drinkers. So right. I'm curious your interpretation of the article.
1: Yeah, I immediately latched on to the sort of the Instagram of bottle shots and glasses shots. And it is immediately brought to mind for myself when I started my Instagram account for my company a couple of years ago and trying to figure out like, okay, what do I want to post? Like what makes sense as a wine professional, as someone who does wine tastings and wine events and wine classes? What do people want? What are people going to find interesting that I'm going to post on Instagram? So I went in and I looked at a whole bunch of other accounts that focus on wine. And it's all just a bottle and a glass and a bottle and a glass and a bottle in the glass. I'm like, God, this is so boring. It's like people just sort of showing off. Well, this is the bottle of wine that I had tonight. And it it's really this idea of tying, like I'm super special because I'm drinking this either hard to get wine or this expensive wine or this prestigious wine. And I feel like it gets really tiring really fast. And maybe that's because I don't buy this way because I have all that underlying wine knowledge and I, I know how to find a good bottle that isn't one of these flashy prestigious wines but it really did get me thinking about the whole idea of wine showing off what wine you're drinking and how that reflects back on yourself.
0: Yeah, I like how they looked at the social media aspect and my take on it I feel was they were saying people like to brag when they're tasting like phenomenal very rare wines and they'll take a picture of it I I know you and I probably do the same thing you go to a tasting it's something it's once in a lifetime wine so you want to show you one you know brag to your friends you know, look what I tried tonight. You take a picture. But I I think also there's people that are just, their everyday wine. So I was having a hard time separating what they were trying to say to the decanter reader. Because to me, decanter is like an elite, maybe group of drinkers. It's, it's UK based, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, a, what are they a trying to magazine. get a, around and saying? Is this is it bad that people post? Is it too much being posted?
1: I think that they're saying that this it's very showy. This is, it's the image that matters and not necessarily what is, in the bottle. If you're posting something that is sort of self-promotional, because that is a lot of what Instagram is all about and a lot of social media is sort of selling, either selling your brand or selling, your, selling yourself, really, it, you're showing wine as this idea of something that has status. And if you can show that you are into these status symbol kind of things like fine wine, like hard to find wines or expensive wines, then you're saying something about yourself.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah, it's it, kind it, of the showy. So aspect of
0: it. And they were saying, are you a label drinker? To me now, can you separate people that are, are buying based on a label versus people that are posting labels? In other words, if I'm a shopper yeah. and I'm buying a label, uh, wine, excuse me, based on the label, will I be the person that's posting that or am I just the buyer that's buying based on the I think it
1: label? can be both. Might be just someone who is consuming the images online and not necessarily drinking those wines, or you could be using that as, oh, well, now I've seen that such and such a person posted this I'm going to go out and see if it's something that I can find and in, the, in that case
0: you would be the label buyer. It's all great for for wine I mean anything you yes, see in, in mass market I mean we're seeing all sorts of brands that are, are posting all sorts of things of, of the bottle image and, mm-hmm.
1: and this I, isn't new you know it's a new yes social media is new but the idea of wines as as having status symbol and then therefore being a status symbol and therefore other people are going to want to consume those because they have this idea attached to them of either luxury or relaxation, I suppose. You know, you're wanting to wear a nice watch and drive a fancy car and drink the best wines. This is not a a new phenomenon. But, you know, there was this twist at the end of the article where if you're only buying wines because other people are telling you that these are the fancy ones you should be buying, then you're not necessarily relying on on your own tastes and your own opinions and your own experiences. So they sort of double back at the end and be like, you should just trust yourself. But it's hard to know how to trust yourself if you don't know what good wine is or what good wine tastes like. So it is sort of this catch 22.
0: That's a good point, because a lot of times for marketing, I will put out a picture of a wine, you know, this is new. And then I I, at first when I was doing social media like that, I was getting a lot of feedback. What does it taste like? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I tasted it. Yeah. But I show the picture. I haven't told you a thing about it other than it's a pretty label. And I have it, so I think that's key. That you, when you do a picture like that, or if people are drinking something you really like, it say why did you like it, mm-hmm. right? I don't. It's a nice label, but why did you? Why should I go buy it, right? And I think
1: sometimes people get caught up in the idea of well, this other person is telling me that this wine is the best, therefore I should like it. And this is an issue that comes into play when you're talking about scores and this particular wine, say, got 94 points from whoever publication. Yes, that might be a high-scoring wine, but do you understand and know the criteria with which that wine is judged? That might not be a style that you like, and you might taste it and be like, oh, there's something wrong with me because I don't like this 94-scoring wine. That is not the case at all. You just might have a different palate or different experience than the person who is doing that judging. So sometimes I feel like people are a little bit less astray because they feel like oh maybe nothing under an 80 whatever is a good wine and i'm i'm assuming that every wine that has a 90s or 90 plus score is automatically going to be good well yeah quality wise it probably is technically very good but that doesn't say anything about whether you're going to like it or not
0: so as a wine drinker kim forget the educator the geek hmm what do you like to see on your social media feeds? You see a picture of a, of a wine. What's your thoughts when you see from friends or family?
1: I'm still trying to figure out what, what is appealing to me and what I like. I think it's tricky with social media because it's not necessarily telling you that much about the wine. It's all the image. Okay, there's this wonderful wine with this beautiful plate of food in this beautiful location, you know, whether it's an island or whether it's Italy or someplace that gives you an idea of, hey, don't you want to be here? And don't you want to be involved in this? And I think part of that is associating the wine with the experience. And, you know, it almost is kind of saying like, you can have a little bit of this experience just by drinking this wine, you might not be eating it with the same food, you might not be in this same location. But it's almost like this little, hey, your vacation in a glass is right here. So I think it's it's hard, because there's it's not just a wine review. It's not a wine tasting note. It's not giving you information about the wine. It's more, how does this wine tie into an experience? And I think that that's what most people are looking for when they're sort of consuming but not consuming. When they're looking at food feeds and beverage feeds and things on social media, it's not necessarily about does this taste good, That it's more about the, I think, conspicuous consumption and the the use of social media as
0: experience. Well, if you're posting that, you assume people that are following you understand you like wine or you taste oh, yeah. wine, you drink wine. So, I mean, we're obviously following the same group of people. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when I see it, I'll be... Sometimes I get mad. I'm like, how did they find that wine? How did, <laughs> how did I not know about that wine? And they have it. And where'd you get it? Why? And you
1: sometimes know? for me, it's the sheer quantity too. It's like, oh, I want to be at that tasting or I want to be at that location or, or oh my goodness, look at all that champagne. you you're in a cellar somewhere and you're so lucky, like I wish I could be there. So I think there's a little bit of, of envy that plays into that too. It's like, look where I am, look what I'm doing. Don't you wish you could be doing this too? So there there's a bit of sort of that one upmanship, I think, with social media and with wine. So I don't I think it's I think it's complicated. And and that I think is one of the reasons why I have a hard time trying to figure out what I'm gonna post on my Instagram because I don't know what people want to see. And I'm a little unclear about what I want to see too. So yeah. Well the article it's a work in progress.
0: The article was asking, Are you a labeled drinker? So really we are. Because we always thinking about we've tasted it. Should we share it? Should, well, but we're, how la- should we we're share label it?
1: drinkers, but we understand for what...
0: promotional purposes, yeah. for educational purposes, right? So I guess. But then on yeah. the,
1: on, an, on another hand, we're not label drinkers because we can look at a label of something that we've never heard of before, and we don't know it's not got all this press and it's not considered high prestige sort of stuff. But if we look at it, and we're like, oh yeah, Reserva Rioja from whatever vintage. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that. I bet that's excellent. And we can do that too. And and I think. that's the the antithesis of this label drinker thing
0: but if you didn't like it right you wouldn't you wouldn't be taking a picture and sharing it with your friends no but that's not the label that's (laughs) that's i'm
1: appreciating what's in the bottle which i think is fundamentally different from what they're talking about here and they're saying you know their definition of what is a label drinker is somebody with more money than experience and we have more experience than money so (laughs) we're the opposite side
0: that's for sure
1: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find out more information about myself at my website, vinitaswineworks.com, and more information about Mark at FranklinLiquors.com. So we often talk about articles from Forbes magazine, and one of my favorite wine writers and uh, wine thinkers is Kathy Hoyha, and she did an article about successful trends and unsuccessful trends that she has seen over the course of the past year in her article articles and in the educational things that she does. So we wanted to talk about a few of those that were look like they're on people's radars for current trends and then uh, things that will continue in the future.
0: Yeah, Kim and our listeners may remember a past episode because we're always using Kathy's articles. We had a discussion. We felt bad. We didn't know the pronunciation of her name and you reached out to her, which I'm so happy you did.
1: Yeah, sent her a message and I'm like, just got to ask because we talk about your articles on the on the radio. How do you pronounce your last name? was <laughs> a little embarrassed that I had to reach out and do that, but she wrote me back immediately and I'm very grateful that she and I are having an ongoing conversation over social media, so thank you, Kathy.
0: Yeah, and we're working to bring her as a guest on one of our shows, too. She's a very interesting career and background, so we'll have her soon, hopefully. we'll talk
1: about that another time. So, for some successful trends that she has found, and she writes for Forbes, so her audience may be a little different than, say, our audience. So, folks that are into with more financial matters and may have different ideas of where their wine buying may be. But she said one of... There you go. More (laughs) than mine. Uh, But she said one of the really important things that she has been looking into this year is the concept of diversity. So bringing more voices of women in the wine industry to the forefront, as well as ethnic minorities that are an important part of our industry and haven't necessarily always gotten a platform with which to speak from. So the idea of including those voices is very important. So she is seeing this trend as something that is ongoing and I think we're all the better for it.
0: Yeah, the diversity. Lately, this has been huge in the news. Women, and they just did a report just recently about beer making. And if a woman I was associated, did you see it? Mm-hmm. If a woman's associated with a brewery, then people tend to not want to be interested in it. So I've seen a lot and I know you're involved in a lot of women's groups in the industry, Kim, but I've seen more and more with there's symposiums about getting women more involved and more out there and be known in the industry. So I I mean, I think that's great. There's more women winemakers. Mm-hmm. We always talk about women in the industry with yep. jobs and more There are more women
1: graduating from UC Davis as winemakers, as scientists. Um, I know a lot of women scientists in the industry. So we're not going away. This yeah. is something that is going to continue.
0: And she also mentioned about as a wine community, talking about diverse as far as the African-American community. And I thought this was is a great thing to bring up because, and I was thinking a lot of times when you do a survey or when you're tasting wine, it'll ask you male, female in your age, but they never separate by African-American or Caucasian or anything like that. So I'm, I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of consumers that are African-American, but there's no targeting or no data collection of how we can gather marketing mm-hmm. that. Yep. Does that make sense?
1: Yep. And I, there are some groups and some folks on Instagram that I follow that are either black wine makers or black wine marketers. And I really love to follow the things that they post because there are different ways of talking to different communities and making sure that you're hitting all the right notes that, that people want to hear. And I feel like making sure that everyone feels included in the wine experience, regardless of what their ethnic background is, regardless of where they grew up. I think that's important, and we feel like wine is something that has this community convivial aspect to it. You know, especially for those of us that feel like wine as part of a meal is important. I feel like it should open doors and open communication from people, and not make uh, not make people feel excluded. So I love that there is this conversation uh, going on. So again, more of that. Yeah, I agree. Right. So uh, second topic was the idea of talking about government intervention when it comes to the wine and So whether it be laws or taxes, a lot of this revolves around direct shipping. And direct shipping is a a topic that we have been talking about for years, because every state is different as far as its laws go. So it's like we've got 50 little countries when you're talking about US wine laws, but then there are some overarching federal laws that have to be taken into consideration too. So there's a lot of that going on. I think this is a little more focused towards that Forbes audience who might be a little bit more savvy when it comes to the ideas behind taxation and other governmental oversight of of the money side of wine. But I do find that this to be something very interesting. And she kind of made a little side note on this one as well, that investing in wine is also a topic of conversation that her audience uh, is interested in. So I think these two sort of play together.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I, I take was it was all tax base and a lot of the laws had changed were benefiting more the wineries more in, in the local level more distributors where taxes were affecting salespeople were paying more but the corporations got more back. Mm-hmm. So and we talk a lot about the government things as far as shipping laws that are changing and then as a nation we look at tariffs now. The government's putting in, sending wines to China. They want to tax that wine coming from Mexico, they're talking Mm -hmm. about. So there will be some true effects. And I think what she was saying here is things are happening. A lot of people don't know about that's putting money in certain people's pockets. So that's something you always have to to watch. And especially
1: with talking about tariffs and you're talking about trade deals and you're talking about taxes, those are costs that are passed on to the consumer but that you don't necessarily know about. They are incorporated into the Cost of a bottle of wine. So you might see the bottle of wine that you regularly buy going up in price, and you might automatically blame the retailer and say, Hey, why are you raising the price of the bottle of wine that I've always been buying? Might not be that retailer's fault or decision, or they might not have anything to do with it. There may be these additional costs that are being put on it five steps ago that you don't have any idea about and that your friendly local wine shop uh, has no control over.
0: Federal taxes, taxes, taxes. Right. A tax, shipping tax, taxes, taxes, many things involved with that. What was the next one, Kim? She was saying, four, four it was things.
1: Specific uh, grape varieties that people are interested in talking about specific grapes, which I love talking about specific grapes. Huh. So, we talk about it all the really time. Happy. Yeah. yeah, so people are curious and people are interested in either hearing about their favorite grape varieties or interested in new things that are out there. And there are a lot of grape varieties, there's a lot of wine styles. It's fun, it's interesting. And And it keeps people curious. And I think that that is wonderful.
0: We've been talking about this so many times recently. The trend is different things. There's so much out there. Try different things. We base all classes and education about this. You know, it's not just about Chardonnay. There's so much more out there. So to me, this was one of the more obvious of the four on the list. I thought, yeah. I mean, that's, we've mm-hmm. known this for a while, yeah. right?
1: But then the, the flip side of this is, all right, well, what topics are not as successful? And some of these sort of surprised me because they were things that I, I kind of always have in the back of my mind when it comes to promotion and when it comes to marketing. And when you think, especially along the lines of like social media marketing and you know, social media marketers often are like, come up with something cute like a Wine Wednesday recommendation or travel is big or talking about seasonal wines. And those are things that she said were, really not successful and that people either didn't click on the articles or there was much less of a show of interest in those things. So seasonal wine suggestions, she's kind of said, yeah, nope. Um, recommendations along the lines of like a Tuesday night wines or wine Wednesday kind of things. A lot of travel things around hot bars and restaurants, she said, didn't really gain a lot of traction. And then what was the last one? Do you remember what the last one that she said was? I don't remember was?
0: because I was focusing on the social media thing. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I thought it was just so interesting that you know, pe- people are always trying. to. This, this is not a day that goes by. That's not something related. It's this day. It's wine day. It's world yeah. wine day. It's national wine day. And to hear that that's not really working. So, but they keep coming up with more and more. But that's, that's so, kind
1: of refreshing for me because I'm like, oh good, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember what the last one was. It was that people are either not interested or maybe don't understand about all the wine classifications. So whether you're talking about AOCs in France or the AOP designation, which is the new umbrella uh, term that the eu has imposed over all of their member countries i'm we're starting to see that more and more on french labels that winemakers are now putting aop instead of aoc and i don't think that that's anything that most people really know or understand but maybe especially american wine drinkers are just not interested
0: yeah so i mean she's saying the geeky stuff isn't working and yeah
1: and that's you know we like the geeky stuff but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's for everybody
0: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please visit her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like to follow past episodes of our show, please find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Our next article is from Vine Pair, Best Low Alcohol Wine Brands. And when we looked at this article, Kim said she had an issue with it, and I always like that because I always want to find out if we have the same issue issue so
1: I kind of had a beef with this article I kind of felt like this was going to be something different than what it actually turned out so they said all right best low alcohol wine brands. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some wines that are below what we normally consider to be quote unquote, normal alcohol levels. And when I think of normal alcohol levels, I think 11, 12, 13% for whites and anywhere from 12 to say 14 for reds. So I was thinking this article was going to be about like eight, nine, 10% alcohol in wines that are regular brands that are not these manipulated diet kinds. Kinds of wines where they're put through all sorts of chemical changes in order to re- remove some of the alcohol. But it's really not. They were defining low alcohol as right around 12% or a little bit under for whites and 13% or under for reds. So I'm like, that's a typical bottle of Bordeaux is 12 and a half percent. So I don't really know why they were settling on that amount of alcohol by volume as their threshold for low alcohol wine that for me is a typical wine not a
0: low alcohol wine yeah and they said about brands so i was thinking they're gonna label yeah wineries but they didn't. or something they no did brands to mention styles yeah, yeah. they so, did
1: more styles not brands
0: and they mentioned they started off it was all about the alcohol content it saying it's between five and twenty percent but like you said Kim, under 13 percent for red i'm like 13 is high yeah right so i think 13 is typical tip I yeah think typical, is typical but i i wouldn't consider that uh low alcohol absolutely not. Right?
1: And I have a note for myself that I wrote down and I said, what about good wines under 10%? Like, that kind of what I was hoping that they would give us. Because I would I was like, oh, this is stuff that I don't have information about and questions that I get from people and I was hoping that this would be a great resource for me. And I was a little disappointed.
0: And they so, weren't comparing, they did no mention of low alcohol versus healthy. We're not talking no, healthy not wines talking healthy. or fit wines. We're talking about just low alcohol volume, right? right. And I've heard stories of of stores or places or restaurants that will not carry wines over a certain percentage of alcohol. So I was I was kind of thinking when when someone says low alcohol and what they're looking for, is it based on too much fruit or you know what I mean? What are mm-hmm. they what are they basing? Why would you want this?
1: Yeah. I you mean, know? for me, it, the the taste of it comes down to is more important than how high is the alcohol. So if I have a 13 percent alcohol that tastes unbalanced and boozy, I would rather drink something that's 15 percent and tastes in balance than 13 percent and tastes out of balance. So the flavor of the wine and the the feel of it as it all comes together in your mouth for me is way more important than what is that actual alcohol by volume level in there. So they really sort of broke down their sort of cheat sheet about how to find wines that are lower in alcohol into, well, it's if it's from a cooler climate, then therefore it will generally be lower in alcohol, which I do find to be true. If you're talking about wines from Australia, California, the very south of Italy, those are really hot places that get super ripe grapes and super ripe grapes translate into wines with higher alcohol because those grapes have more sugar in them. And if you have more sugar in your grapes and you ferment them out fully to have a dry wine, you are therefore, just because of chemistry, going to have more alcohol in those wines. So their recommendation is cooler climates are going to produce grapes that are less ripe, so therefore less potential alcohol and less final alcohol in the wine. So talked about German Rieslings, and they talked about Chablis, and they talked about Vino Verde, which is specifically made to be a little bit lower in alcohol. Those are those wines from Portugal. But yeah, I was... I don't know. Yeah, we I, always I kind talk. of scratched
0: my head with it. Yeah, we we've always talked with the listeners about you know the hot zones, the cold zones, and how it affects the alcohol. They also mentioned the there is a law on the percentage where fourteen percent or lower, you you can have a one point five percent difference in the, mm-hmm. the alcohol. So that might be why they started at thirteen. So it could be twelve and a half or twelve yep. percent technically. But when you're talking about alcohol and tasting, Kim, have you ever tried a wine and thought, wow, this is really balanced, but then you look at the label and it's like sixteen percent or yeah. something crazy and you're and like, I'm "Wow." i
1: I'm actually really impressed when they can do that. Like when a a winemaker can make a higher alcohol wine a still tastes wine that still think that's good winemaking, think that's they're able to bring. All all those other textures and keep them in play and in balance with the alcohol and not make it taste like it's got a shot of vodka in there. You know, it doesn't taste boozy. And and I think that that is a really talented winemaker behind that who can who can do that
0: for so, me. So. so based on that, on the high end, have you ever tasted a wine and said, what is it? Is there any alcohol in there? You, know what <laughs> mean? Is it, you do, Have you ever tasted one and say, wow, this is a low alcohol I'm, wine? I'm
1: probably, yeah, I'm probably able to do that these days just because, you know, I have a lot of experience it, and a pretty high tolerance. So I don't know if I'd necessarily be tasting a lower alcohol wine and be like, oh, wow, I can actually taste the alcohol.
0: And how would you, like if it's a white wine, because I have my way, when I'm tasting, I would describe that. How would you describe, if you taste a wine, a white wine, you feel it's low in alcohol what hmm. would you say i don't you know. don't say it's low alcohol no right? so that's what i'm just trying to get across is that we'll say it's oh, high i don't know
1: how i describe that actually how do you describe it you said uh, if it's it like light? a
0: white or even a red i'll say it's watery okay because i'm not sensing alcohol i'm not sensing fruit but it's really probably to me more the alcohol when i talk to people and they
1: use the word watery i assume that they're talking about tannic structure especially for reds like some people who are used to drinking big heavy oaky like cabs or zins and then and then they taste a yeah and then they taste a pinot noir and they're like oh this is watery i assume that they are talking about like what you just said the the body of the wine easy drinking maybe maybe i need to step back and consider that the feel of the alcohol does come into play for people
0: as well i just think it's funny we yeah. will say if it's high or they'll say hot if hot. it's a i say hot yeah hot. i say hot or we boozy. don't say cool if it's low no. right uh, so it's one of those weird I terms i like that
1: Thank you for listening today to The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. We love that you visit with us every week. Please tune in to previous episodes that are listed on iTunes and tune back in next week. Cheers.